Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckstables? What the fuck, Tuckians? What the fuck, Cassians? Tennesseans? Does that work? In in honor of my gigs, my upcoming gigs in Nashville, Tennessee. Did that work? Uh, this is Mark Marin. This is my show. Welcome to it. Uh, thank you for listening. Th- thank you for all of your support. And, and that is truly gracious. I'm being humble here. It's late at night. I'm uh, I'm doing this uh, later than usual. It's quiet here at the uh, Cat Ranch. I'm in the garage. And, uh, of course, uh, 4th of July still going on in my neighborhood. Saw some fireworks on the way home. Uh, never clear uh, as the weeks go by whether or not it's gunplay or fireworks. And also, uh, it seems that the stray cat, who I fed uh, wet food once, is not leaving and has begun to bully my other cat. And I've talked about this before. I'm just giving you an update. Things are quiet here at the ranch. But I will say this. If you live in the Los Angeles area and you would like to come see me ramble through some new material, I'm not. I'm going to present it like that. I'm going to be uh, improvising uh, some new material and, and working through some stuff. I will be at the Steve Allen Theater, uh, the Trippany House, as it's called now. That will be uh, July 17th. That's soon. That's soon. What day is that? I don't know, Mark. Why don't you take a look at the calendar? Oh, there's the calendar. July 17th, that's a Tuesday. Well, that can't be bad. Spend an evening. Spend a, a Tuesday night with me, just me, and, and lower your expectations. It's like 10 bucks. What do you think about that? Huh? What do you think about that? But with that comes my need for you to, uh, to be there for me and, and help me work through some stuff. Can you do that in person? Do it. July 17th, 8 o'clock p.m., the Steve Allen Theater, the Trippany House, as it's called now. Uh, please, do it. Come on out. Nashville. Can we talk for a minute? Nashville, Tennessee, July 20 and 21 at Zany's. Yes. Just for last festival, Montreal. I'll be doing a live WTF and an hour or so of uh, live stand-up on the July 28th. Come to that. I think that's enough for now. Well, I'll be in Chicago at the main stage, August 2nd through 5th. You might want to get tickets to that. Sold out quickly there last time. Looking forward to that. Enough. Enough with me. Enough plugging me. What about me? Oh, can I just take a break? It's just been a long day. It's been a long fucking day, all right? And I got to hand it to you people who work in offices. I was in an office all day. I hosted, uh, maybe some of you watched it, I hosted uh, Attack of the Show on the G4 network. I hosted it because I wanted to see if I was likable on television. I know I'm an acquired taste here on the headphones, but what about on television? And I got to say, you know, I think it went pretty well. It had been a long time since I'd uh, read a prompter or interacted with other people on camera or uh, moved around or or did jokes that were not, uh, you know, completely written by me. I don't know. I wanted to try it or interviewed people on camera. And I got to say, I walked away from the shows uh, not feeling any remorse, not beating the shit out of myself, not second guessing myself. I don't know if things are turning around for me in my head or what, but it's getting harder to be miserable, at least today. Can I just have this few minutes? Would that be all right with you people? Can you allow me that? Sure you can. 
but it was it was fun. I interviewed Dan Harmon uh, yesterday. You can go see that at the uh, Attack of the Show website. He 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 dished a little on why he left Community uh, tonight. Uh, we recorded one. I'll be interviewing my friend uh, Chris Cooper, Coop the artist. But uh, it, it was fun. I I'm not going to sit here and toot my own horn, but I think I did all right with it. And uh, and it was a it was a it was a fine time. And I want to thank the people over at G4 for making that happen. But let's get back to the office thing. Look, I am lucky and fortunate to have the life I have. It didn't come easy, but I, you know, I'm doing okay right now. And I had moments in that office, and I really don't want to alienate any of you who are sitting in cubicles right now trying to make it okay. I'm sure plenty of you have good jobs. You like your jobs, but I don't know. Am I fucking wrong? Or is there something about offices that literally just suck the soul out of you? I don't know. It happens in any office. It would happen in an office with me if I was just there for for an hour. I don't know if it's the lighting. I don't know if it's the way it's structured. I had my own room, but I looked at it rows of cubicles and I and I just, maybe I'm projecting, but I, I, I swear I felt the quiet festering of people in their cubicles trying to make everything okay to be there. I don't know how people, I don't know how to act appropriately in a fucking office. I swear to God, if I didn't have Jessica, I would be festering all day. Just because my brain works like that. For the most part, it's about 15% creativity, about 5% I'm hungry, and about 80% uh, sexual. That's just the way my brain works. And I I imagine that office drama must unfold all the time. I feel like an idiot not knowing how offices work. But I I have to assume that some of you are just festering at that uh, about that woman or that man who you see every fucking day who you can't talk to i don't know how people just aren't masturbating furiously in offices every day does that happen i mean if i had my own office i, I don't know how many times i jerk off in one day does that happen in offices do, do i don't i just i just don't know but uh, you people are are the the true heroes of the human spirit to tolerate that and deal with it every day and i thank you for listening and I, God, I hope I make your life a little easier. Did I even say who was going to be on the show today? Sarah Benincasa, the comedic uh, performer and uh, author of Agora Fabulous, Dispatches from My Bedroom, will be here momentarily. I went to uh, the uh, Rose Bowl flea market, and uh, I'm just no good at it. I'm no, you know, I watch American Pickers. Is that what it's called? American Pickers. I watch. Uh, I watch a lot of uh, shows that my girlfriend Jessica has roped me into a lot of house hunters a lot of uh i'm glad we've moved away from from the the uh the hoarding shows and now we're into something more proactive where people aren't uh you know sadly stockpiling garbage in their homes and unearthing dead animals and now people are buying homes at least i watch american pickers i used to love flea markets and now i went to this flea market and i was immediately exhausted i found uh the antiques were were we're draining me of my life force. I think that's called, it's antique fatigue or antique, I believe was uh, something suggested to me. But what's amazing about flea markets is I'm, I always assume, I don't know how to get a deal. I don't know how to haggle. I don't want to play that game. If I know that you're supposed to, and after you know, you watch American Pickers, and I'm like, fuck, I've got to haggle for everything. There's no shame in it. But there's part of me that just doesn't want to deal with the drama of haggling. I bought a light. I wanted a light fixture. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for, for specific things. I found a light fixture. It was marked $115. I say, look, I'll give you uh, $80 for it. The guy goes sold. But then I, the, the time between 
the purchase, like the time where I reached up and I got I, I got hold of the chain that the light was hanging from, and the time between me saying awesome and saying, oh, did I just get fucked? Was literally, it almost happened simultaneously. It was like, awesome, I'm an idiot. So now I've got this thing that I didn't think I'd get a good deal on because why'd he sell it to me for such a cheap price so quick? I figured it might have cost him $10 and I feel like an asshole. So now every time I turn the light on, it might as well have the, the word asshole written on it. Is that, is, is that, is that just me? I think I get ripped off at, uh, with everything. I've just got to start making my own shit. I've got to open the shop. I've got to make light fixtures. I have to start learning how to make shoes. I've got to make my own pants. Greg Barrett makes his own pants. Why can't I make my own pants? I, I don't think I should pursue television anymore. I don't think I should start. To, I don't think I should do my, my IFC show. I think it's just time for me to start manufacturing uh, what I need to survive. I'm going to grow vegetables. I'm going to make my own pants, make my own shirts. I'm going to uh, fix my chimney. That, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live off the land and I'm going to open up a Mark manufacturer. I'm going to create a small factory and uh, and I'm going to provide jobs. That's what I'm going to do. I'm bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. on a very small scale. I'm going to be the only employee. Uh, Jessica will help me when she has time. And perhaps we'll create a line of things for you to purchase as well, which I'll put up on the website. So look for that. Look for that. I, I have to come up with a brand name. Uh, so I'll work on that. And again, if you're in an office and it's okay, go masturbate in the bathroom. Just do yourself a favor. Cut loose. Is that okay? Oh, the, the lack of intimacy in an office is brutal. It's even going to the bathroom in an office. I mean, going to the bathroom because everybody goes around the same time, disguising the stuff. You know, God bless you if you believe that kind of stuff. I saw you once. I've seen you perform once at um, when I used to host a show with Greg Johnson. What happened to that show? What do you mean? You don't host it anymore? What was it called? The Sex uh, sex and Other Human Activity? No, that I host. Um, no, this was a show called Get in Bed on Sirius XM. But that show, Sex and Other Human Activities, I host with Marcus Parks, who does tech for your show at the Bell House when you do it in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he's so great. Wait, so now a sex show. I just did another sex show. And what, what qualifies you to be a sex show person? This is going to come as a surprise, but I'm not a virgin. And really? No. And I know I might need to leave because uh, I just, I was I know, unclean. The, yeah. Unclean. Dirty. dirty. Just <laughs> filthy. No wonder my cat didn't really take you right away. <laughs> you know, that's he why appreciates he, clean girls. He sensed the lack of hymen yeah. and was like, I'm out of here. This but is that, bullshit. But, but does that, well, okay, so you don't need any qualifications just to talk about sex? So you don't present yourself as, I'm a sex person. I'm a sex positive therapy person. No, I don't, um, I don't present myself as an expert. I think that's the most okay. important thing. I'm right. just somebody who who's curious about it and who asks a lot of questions and who has opinions. But it's particular. I think th that's the most authentic thing. I mean, you know, you also have a radio background too, and it, right. it, when it just sounds like two people having a conversation, that's the best. Even when it's just one sided and it's just the host talking, and you feel like you're on the other end. But I mean, aren't there some questions that you know you're not? I I mean, it, it's I would imagine. Like if I were to host a sex show, and I don't know why I'm talking about this because I just did one and I ended up, you know, divulging more information than I really needed to. Oh, which that, which one did you do? I did uh, Sex Nerd Sandra show. Oh, cool. But there's uh, there's that 
if you're going to be that person and you're fielding questions, at some point, isn't you're going to have to answer a question with like, you know, I don't know why people put those kind of things in there. Or, or yeah, if it's out yeah, of your sometimes <laughs> I get if it's out of your experience, all you can go is like, well, that sounds interesting. Uh, I guess nah. it's weird. Yeah, you know, sometimes I mean, I have a thing. Um, I have a thing about anal sex, which is that I don't like it, and yeah. I take a a stand against it. You take a stand a against stand, it, even for homosexuals. I don't believe they should be permitted to um, engage in it. I think it should just be illegal across the board. I think it's messy, and and I think it's awkward, uh-huh. and I think it's a dumb sex act. I and, disapprove. And you, that's that's your position publicly. That's my public position. Privately, it was not always my position, but, but I came to it through hard earned. You were like, I got to research this. Ow, no. Yeah, I was like, I will do this twelve times. I will not. 12. I will not make That's it a, a baker's lot. dozen in thirteen, but I will do it twelve <laughs> times, and I will. I will try anything twelve times, and I just said to myself, "No, I don't think so." I, yeah, no I'm more. Not, I'm not going to fall for that a thirteenth time. Right? You can, can fool me twelve <laughs> times. Shame on you. Um, but I, I. So we joke around about that, and we talk about that on the show, and we get some. Um, we get some really. We get some angry feedback from people who think I'm being homophobic, and we also get some feedback from people who just really want me to understand that it's actually really awesome, and I just need to chill out, man. Yeah, relax a little bit. Yeah. Are you using the right lube? I mean, did you that those kind of that <laughs> yeah, kind well, of feedback? A lot of it's, yeah, well, are you using the right lube? Are you just and, and a lot of it is very don't fight it. Yeah, don't just get into it. And what <laughs> what is it about you, Sarah, that's blocking receiving this? gift <laughs> this messy disgusting gift um, well, look, aren't, is it, like, tonight well first i should say that in the garage is sarah benincasa is that how you pronounce it yes sarah benincasa 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 she uh, wrote a book called the gore fabulous and she's uh, been around doing video things what's the the uh, getting wet yeah, I interview comedians in bathtubs. Have not done that. I've never met Sarah. But <laughs> this is our first meeting. Yes, but as I established, there was a brief period a few years ago where I was mildly obsessed based on photographs. That makes me feel so happy. Why? Because I don't know. It just kind of makes me happy. You should have asked me out. No, but, I, but you were in a relationship with some other Italian-sounding motherfucker. Yeah, we were together for two and a half yeah, years. Yeah, so that was so my timing was off. Now I'm in a relationship, so it's fucking... Yeah, and I'm single know. now. Yeah. It's Thanks, fu- Mark. Yeah, No, thank Thanks, you. Fate. Thank Thanks, fate. Thanks, fate. There you go. <laughs> but it, like getting back to anal sex, because I don't talk about this stuff much on my show for uh, you know with someone who uh, talks about it publicly. I believe that for men, I can understand it more than I could for women. I can because they have the prostate, which yes. is they call the P spot, which is like the G spot for no, I girls. I get it. I get it because there's always that, and I talk about this on stage, there's always that awkward moment at the doctor's office where you have that second where you're like, oh, I get it, and I, but <laughs> but I don't want to change my lifestyle or <laughs> try to sell this to my girlfriend. But I love Jesus too much. <laughs> I can't get into this. Yeah, I, I guess for guys, I need to relax my stance on it. I'm, I'm, oh, good. I'm, so I we're making, to, we're we're making progress. Yeah. yeah, by the time I get out of here, it's just going to, I'm only going to have butt sex. Yeah, just, and, <laughs> and probably wear shirts that say, yay, anal. Yay, anal, it's the best. <laughs> um, but I do get, we get a lot of emails, Marcus and I do, um, for sex and other human activities. And, and a lot of times they are, 
insulted that mm-hmm. we have made fun of a particular sex act. Right. People get very personal. Because you're not being sex positive. Right. We're not being sex positive. Uh, what the hell does that fucking mean? That just means anything you want to do, Mark. You as wanna, long as it's safe hey, and everybody's on board. It's cool. As long as there's no, you yeah. know. And it's and it's within the uh, the law. Yeah. You're not. There's no yeah. kids and there's no animals. That's cool, man. Right. But doesn't that. Why can't we still say like, uh, that's fucking weird. And, you know, <laughs> it's fine for you. But I don't have to sit there and go, yay, you. Yeah, it's kind of like um what is that? Oh man, it's not moral relativity. What is that that idea? Cultural relativism? The idea that you can say um well, I don't approve that, you know, you your culture engages in this act, but it's your culture, so it's okay, man. It's different. Yeah, that's that's called um a slightly condescending tolerance. Yes. Which I'm not <laughs> It happens not, at liberal arts colleges sure. all around yeah. this country. I'm I'm not sure that all tolerance is condescending. I'm not sure whether it is or not. Um I think that it is okay to have moral absolutes and I think it's okay to have would we call them physical absolutes? Certain for yourself? things for for yourself, yeah. yeah. And I, but I think for other people too. I mean, I of course, I'm sure you and I would both agree that certain things are are like if you're a school teacher, you shouldn't be making your kids eat the ookie cookie while you take pictures. To no. bring up a local example, right? Right. Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Listeners. Yeah, and that that is so the is so perverse mm-hmm. and and strangely. Um, creative it's a, a really creative way to fuck up a kid forever yeah. i used to be a high school teacher very briefly and i can you, you just looked really surprised yeah no, I'm just, i haven't I'm, we haven't gotten into uh, where you come from or why but you used to be a high school teacher what does I that mean briefly very yeah. briefly i taught in the americorps program for a year and then i got my degree at columbia the reason i moved to new york was to get my degree at columbia in a teacher's college creatively so you were going to teach I was going to teach, and I student taught um, in a New York City middle school and a New York City high school. And you said, there's no fucking way I'm going to do this. I had a student or a fellow student at grad school who noticed that I was really unhappy with with teaching, but that I liked cracking jokes in class. And she had just quit her job in the talent department at Comedy Central because she wanted to make a difference. And I was like, I don't want to make a difference. I want so to do something going, else. So why don't you just switch lives? Yeah, pretty much. And she said, okay, you know what? Why don't you come and meet? She, I guess she was Joanne or Anne's assistant. I forget who over at Comedy Central in the East Coast. Town. I love that story that she was at Comedy Central for a while. And she was like, this is nothing but cultural cancer. Yeah. She was like, I hate this. <laughs> this I love the people. Anybody. I mean, she loved the people she worked yeah. with, but she hated what she was doing. And she just wanted to do something meaningful that and beautiful. Comedy Central actually made a woman realize that she needed to do something that would help yeah. that it was so disconcerting <laughs> and now she's a very successful new york city public middle school teacher and she's really good at it that is a sweet story it's awesome she she saw the light she did but she before she um you know was a professional before she finally made it to you know got her licensure and everything we were students together and she said you should try stand up comedy and i said i don't know how do you do that? Like on TV? Like mm-hmm. what do you do? Yeah, you try it on TV. You that's try it on TV. Is yeah. that what you do? Like at, how do you do that? At this point in the world of show business, yeah, that's a that's a viable way to get started. <laughs> is. is you just sign up for something and you do your first ten minutes on television, and then you're just a star. Yeah, you t- you you tour with your twelve minutes for about a year, and then people realize, oh, she was just on that TV show for twelve minutes. She doesn't have anything else. The first people I met in comedy in New York, besides this woman, were her former bosses, who were like, I guess it was the vice president of East Coast Talent at Comedy. Central. And I thought, 
oh, this is just how it goes. You When you start comedy, that's the first person you meet. I mean, all we did was have burritos go, and wine. You go over to Comedy Central and they tell you, they give you a career. That's what happens. <laughs> and then I learned what bringers were. And yeah. then my life changed. So you had it. Okay, so it's nice meeting you. You're welcome for lunch. Call me in three years. <laughs> well, we just went out socially. Oh. And I was, and it was, um, and, and it was just fun and nice. And you know, they're nice girls and Joanna and Anna are great. And then uh, I was like, okay, what now? And, and my friend Caroline, was her name, said, okay, well, now um, you have to go to an open mic. And I mm. said, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm, and yeah. she was like, let me show oh, you. And then, and you, then my soul died. Yeah, yeah. Then she took you someplace and you're like, oh, this is... I was like, this is horrifying. Why would? Why do you think I should do this? This is terrible. Those girls who work at the the network are very nice, but this is shit. Like, yeah, this, this is, is what you do? This is horrible. This is the most painful <laughs> thing I've ever been through. Why are these people doing this to themselves? It was horrifying. And you know what? Actually, I, I've seen you perform. I thought that I had just seen you at a Greg Johnson show, but I think I've seen you twice. I think I saw you do um, a show at Rafifi back yeah. in uh, like 2005, 2006. Maybe it was Invite Them Up. Maybe it was... Nick Kroll and John Mulaney show. I don't know, but she took me to Rafifi and she said, no, this is this is where cool comedy is happening. This is where Rafifi, good stuff happens. Where is that? It's not there anymore, but it was on the Lower East Side. Oh, yeah, like I remember that fish. place. It was like it had a big bar and there was sort of a big weird stage in back. Mm-hmm, yeah. It was Eugene Merman's show maybe yes. and Bobby Tisdale. Mm-hmm. It was not a good night for How? me. I, don't, I remember I got angry. I always used to get angry at those shows. Yeah, well, yeah. one thing I love about the show is that you really, you let out a lot of things that people try to hide, such as anger, resentment, uh, jealousy, fear, and mm-hmm. all those other things. And that's the only way that I know how to get through life is to talk about those things. Yeah. And to joke about them and uh, and to let them out. And, and sometimes people find it disconcerting. Um, initially, when I listened to the show, I found it disconcerting. I was like, why is he so fucking... What is he upset about? I don't. Why is he mad? He's mad. Really, you had that reaction. Well, because in my head, I was like, "But he's Mark. Look, he's Mark Marin. Like he's like I've seen him on TV. So even though I know, I know how hard it is, and I know that the fact that you've been on television, um, or that That should make everything okay. That it doesn't make everything magic. Once you're on TV, usually that just stops all sort of psychoanalyzing and self awareness, and all your problems go away. I I people think that I because I have a book out that I'm rich now. (laughs) And it's not true, actually. No, it's probably the opposite of true. <laughs> now you just get to check the numbers of books you sell versus the uh, amount of money they gave you. And then you start going like, I don't know if this book's ever going to make its money back. Do I have to give this back? Yeah, I go on Amazon and I cut myself. That's my new morning ritual. <laughs> Cutting myself to Amazon. <laughs> it's really it's really special. That's I your love next it. book, How I Became a Cutter Because of Amazon. That'll probably be self-published. Yeah, yeah. I don't think HarperCollins will pick that up a- again. Amazon right slash cutting. Yeah, I looked at it today and I felt I went to a real dark place. And then it's I said to myself, based on anything. Yeah, and I said to myself, Sarah, like, you know, there are people buying it in my my best friend went to the Grove, um, the Barnes and Noble at the Grove the other day and it was sold out. And I was thrilled, probably because they ordered two copies and sold both of them. Yeah, see, why well, you got to take it away from yourself like that? But I do I the same know. thing. I know, yeah. The Amazon ranking is based on a daily sales. Yeah. Thing. It's not it's not it's it's completely relative. Like if you went out and bought 50 copies of your book today mm-hmm. on Amazon, you, you're ranking, you'd be in the top 20. Oh, God, I got to do that. It's called Agora Fabulous. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> I, I, you know what I really like is how cleverly you plug your book. It's very subtle. Yeah. I That's my I barely felt strength. it. Yeah. Where, do you, where did you come from? Uh, New Jersey. 
you're a New Jersey girl? Yeah, you're I'm a Jersey, Jersey girl? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard that song by Tom Waits? Uh, yes. And then the, the Bruce Springsteen uh, uh, remake of it, which every Jersey girl hears at her 16th birthday party or or presumably at her wedding. Yeah. I've heard of those. People really, have that them. song is played at a wedding? Well, it's better than Butterfly Got no kisses. time for the carnival. <laughs> no, right. Don't want no whores on 8th Avenue because tonight <laughs> I'm going to be with you. And it's okay. like, let's take that little brat of yours and drop her <laughs> off at your mom's. You have a bastard child or a failed... <laughs> earlier marriage and there's offspring and we hate her let's drop her off at your mother's and then let's fuck and that's what we and jersey yeah what part of new jersey i'm from flemington new jersey i don't know where that is Uh, my roots are in jersey maybe that's another i thought so yeah uh, my i was born in jersey city oh okay and my uh, grandmother lived in pompton lakes new jersey (gasps) where my mother grew up do you know where that is i once loved a boy in pompton Lakes. no yeah I loved him. And we went out, and his mom did not approve of me because, as it turns out, I'm not Jewish. Holy fuck. When did you figure that out? About the time that I got confirmed in the Roman Catholic Church. Oh. Um, but, yeah, his his mom really didn't approve. And, gosh, they had – I'm sorry I'm going off on a sorry. tangent. But um, – a tangent. But I remember – they had a house that was so big. I'd never been in such a big house before. It was, I think it was like 8,000 square feet. Mm. And they had an intercom system because it was so big. Oh. And you really could, you, you really needed it. And um, I remember his mom was very nice to me, but then he would tell me that when I would leave, she would cry and ask him why he wasn't dating a Jewish girl. I could answer that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get my list. And I was like, I'll convert. I was 17, you know. I was like, I'll convert. I don't care. I mean, if, if we, I, I just was. If we can honor this love. I was like, whatever, man. I like, can change my language. Come on. Like, I don't, I don't prayer. care. Like, yeah. whatever. And um, he was like, no, no, it's different. And I didn't really, that was the first time I came to kind of, that was the first time ever in my life. You I mean, came in contact with a Jew? No, no, no. That was traumatic and I don't like to talk about it. Oh, really? Because it was was dirty and it was upsetting. There was a ritual. There were some elders in a dark room and there was a lot of candles. Oh, you got used for that. Yeah. yeah. It's hard for us to find Roman Catholics to, you know, do that. But, you know, yeah, it's part of the, it's a secret bar mitzvah. But that's why I get to do this show because (laughs) I had those things done to me when I was two. And I remember them. Um, No, I, I, uh, no, it was the first time I, I ever was with somebody and... I don't know, being a, a, a white upper middle class girl from New Jersey, you don't run into a whole lot of, oh, you're you're the wrong thing. Right. I'm usually white the upper right middle thing. class Jewish people. Um, but I, I was I was the wrong thing because I was I happened to be white upper middle class Italian. Cath, Catholic Italian and Irish Catholic instead that's so of weird. Jewish. That's so common. It happens all the time. It was weird, though. Yeah. I mean, Italians and Jews. I mean, it happens. Yeah. Know? I'm like, come on. Why can't this happen? But, you know, he it went worked on. in the mob. Did you try to sell that angle of it? I should have. The modern mafia. If it wasn't for Meyer Lansky and Lucky Luciano, we would have nothing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys do great accounting work for us. Wait a we minute. we appreciate yes, that. Sure. But sure. no. Um, but so Pompton Lakes, you were, you're, let's see, you were born Pompton in. Pompton Lakes. My mother grew up mother in Pompton Lakes. You're from Jersey City. No, I'm not from there. My dad was there. I, I really lived in Wayne for a few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I remember going to uh, Willowbrook Mall with mm-hmm. my grandma and Paramus Park Mall when that opened up because that was very exciting. I think I had one of the first food courts. And I remember my grandma saying, they have food from around the world. It's <gasps> so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Sbarro. Uh-huh. Yeah, Sbarro and some Greek plays. I, I remember finding it very wonderful. It's, it's the well, first time I had Greek food. 
mall culture is so integral to New Jersey. Yeah, it's so it's, key. You it, sometimes identify. It. We're f- I'm from near the Bridgewater Commons Mall, and the fanciest mall is the mall at Short Hills because they have valet, which you know out here is very common, but in Jersey, valet is like almost unheard of. So you grew up. What kind of um, your, your dad was uh, good. My dad's good, yeah. Not, not like, uh, didn't like try to fuck me or anything. Nothing. Nope, nothing. Now, nothing and I feel kind of upset about it. Yeah. Honestly, I felt rejected for a time. And your mom also didn't try to fuck me. That bitch. But was not jealous of you and your father's relationship. Ah, uh, well, it wasn't sexual against my will. Right. So you know, she was fine. No, they've actually been together since they were seventeen years old. Mm. And my, they grew up in a one square mile town called Boundbrook, New Jersey. And they just this past weekend, we were in Jersey City doing a family book party. And they slow danced to Alicia Keys singing that New York song. Wow. They slow danced together and they started to kiss and it was disgusting. And then they did a mashup with Jersey Girl and everything was right. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, no, they're very much very much in love. I mean, uh, you know, my mom was the first person in her family to go to college. Uh, she grew up on food stamps with a single mom. My dad grew up in a more sort of, um, I don't know, leave it to beaver kind of household. What's his business? He works in pharmaceuticals. Right. He actually, uh, he works, my co-host for Sex and Other Human Activities, Marcus, and I um, both are crazy on our own way. I'm, I'm depressive and agoraphobic, and Marcus is bipolar. And Marcus has actually taken a drug that my dad's company makes. What drug is that? It's an atypical antipsychotic called Risperdal. Really? Which, so that's nice. We get a little plug in for Risperdal. Yeah, there you go. If you're <laughs> if you're bipolar or you're schizophrenic, yeah, that's right. ask your doctor. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, my dad works in pharmaceuticals and as uh, a salesman or a designer. He or? is a global vice president of uh, something important. At oh, a says that big on his one. business card. Yeah, uh-huh. that's what it is. And then my mom was a school teacher, and she just retired. So that's where you get the teacher thing. Yeah, that's so. I just that's just sort of what you did in my family. You either became you went into business or became a teacher. And I, I don't going to be surprising. I don't really have a big head for business. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's how coming many siblings across. do you have? You're Italian and Catholic. So what do you got? Is there nine? No, 12? because the comp the company my father worked for most of my life made birth control. And, and your mother was not that great a Catholic. And my, no, she really wasn't. Mm. She was very, she was easy, like Sunday morning. <laughs> so I just have one, my brother Steve, he's in nursing school. Wow. So, okay. So then why'd you have to go through the confirmation and everything? They just wanted you to jump through the hoops because they didn't... Uh... They, I think they thought that it was... It would stop you? Maybe. <laughs> and you know what? I actually, they... I actually swallowed it whole, and I was a virgin until I was 21. Really? Mm-hmm. I really thought the Catholic stuff was real, and I believed in the magic and the spookiness. Was that a metaphor for something? No, that so was... You li- didn't... I didn't swallow it. No, I literally didn't... No, I did swallow it. No, there was that boy in Pompton. There was? Yeah. At 17? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he was... He must have been so grateful, though. I think he was. I think he was like, yes, you shicks a bitch, take it. And I was like, I love you. (laughs) I just don't want to do that, but I'll do anything else. I was like, I'll do anything else. I love you. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I really, really absorbed it. I was very, as a teenager, very stridently anti-abortion. And I wanted to go on the march for life in Washington and all this stuff. And my parents were not that way. They uh, They were pretty much socially pretty liberal people. And I think they were a little confused, but I, it is true, I think, that kids just want something to identify with. Did you believe in hell? With. Oh, sure. No. Yeah. Heaven, hell. Really? Purgatory. Until when? Saints. I think until, uh, 
I think I sort of dropped the hell thing with sometime in my mid-20s. It took a while. And I'm a smart girl. Who the fuck put that in your head if your parents were relatively liberal Catholics? It was um, my Catholic education. I, I didn't go to Catholic school, but my CCD yeah. classes and then um, just being at church, I really bought into it. Uh-huh. Like full, I, all the way. I remember uh, I wanted to go to a summer camp for girls who might be interested in taking the vow, you know, and becoming a nun. So you're kind of like, uh, it was fear-related. Yeah, definitely. And you were, so. you're, you're, <laughs> you, you, you sort of, because uh, I'm just assuming that, I don't, when did the agoraphobia start to kick in? Uh, I started getting panic attacks when I was about 10, and the agoraphobia started to kick in in when I was in high school and then really kicked in hardcore when I was in college. And that's when it was really bad when I was 21. That's but when I, I was confined to my home for a little while. A panic while. attack when you're 10, though. I mean, what is what does that look like? You, you well, have you, ever, have you ever had a panic attack? Sure. I might be having one now. Okay. okay. I'm, just, I'm so good at it. Do you need like, cl- like clonopin? No, or? no. I, I just I just let them roll. That's and cool. I don't I don't tell my exterior that they're happening. You just ride the waves. Sure. I almost started to have one coming here because I was nervous. Mm. But then we stopped at McDonald's in historic Filipino town. Mm-hmm. I peed and I said, Sarah, it's going to be okay. You said you had to do a little self-talk. I did a little self-talk. A little... What were you nervous about? I was nervous about meeting you. Mm. How'd that work out? It's working out okay, I think. How yeah. am I doing? Is it, are we doing all right? I feel like it's going pretty good. I feel pretty good too. Yeah, but wait, so wait, panic, because I had panic attacks when I was younger, but I mean, what is a panic attack when you're 10? You didn't want to go, you, you ice cream freaked you out? Or... No, no, I really felt um, it was surrounding travel. It was surrounding usually being on a bus, a plane, a train, in a car. How about when your parents traveled? Um, yeah, like, my da- my dad actually has some agoraphobia, but he he manages it really well now. But like when my parents left town to go on a trip, I was so sure they were going to die oh God. that I was paralyzed. I mean that. I mean I don't talk about it much, but when I was in like fourth grade, mm-hmm. like uh, I got physically ill because I pictured them in a plane crash, and I could not. It was paralyzing. Who were you staying with? Like grandparents or a babysitter? Uh, maid. A maid. Oh. But oh. no, but no, no, not a living maid. It was someone they, you know, a cleaning lady that came yeah. over once a week. That was who my mother would would leave me with, and then that led to all kinds of uh, learning things that I never thought I'd know. She was just, she must have been seventy, mm-hmm. uh, and she was Latino, and she took us to uh, the, the you know the Latino part of town to meet her family. And one of them was her grandson was in a wheelchair, and that was the first time I'd met somebody who was in a wheelchair. Wow. And then one of her other grandsons was in a popular, well, sort of a. Uh, they were an Indian rock band, and I mean American Indian awesome. rock band called Exit and uh, <laughs> XIT. And I, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, tip that he was Latino, but I mean, the other two guys or three guys were American. That's Indian. badass. So you know, it sort of opened that door. But I couldn't enjoy anything. But I do remember, like, her daughter or her granddaughter. Somebody was married to a Filipino guy, and I remember going to their house, and the one of the daughters played piano. Mm. And played the love theme from uh, Romeo and Juliet. I-, I can't remember how it goes, but it's really sort of sad. The w- from uh, like uh, the film, I think so. From the... Zeffirelli's film, maybe? yeah, where she you see boobs. Do, do, do. I can't the the song, and I just started bawling because all it meant to me was that my parents were floating somewhere. That's so beautiful and sweet. A, it's like a plane is on fire. That's yeah. so beautiful. And it's exactly the kind of thing that, that people misunderstand about kids. They probably thought you were crying for a totally other reason. Because kids, little kids who get into their heads 
are are really hard to it's a tough nut to crack right but the, the thought that i was like there were moments where like i did it was the whole world was was so strange and and i didn't seem to be able to adjust to it like mm-hmm. i was in the stranger's house they i was too sensitive to deal with just the weird the the other smells you know you go to mm-hmm. somebody from a different culture especially and you're like what's happening I oh i remember when i rolled into my my girl hafiza's house when i was little and i was like what is that and her mom said it's goat and i was like what yeah, no no what do you but i dealt with that animal. yeah i dealt with that fear all the fucking time like i in like i still have not fully assessed you know all the uh, panic and horror and anxiety that i went through as a child and you seem to have done that um I think, you know, I've, I've in doing like therapy and, and lots of stuff. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's for me, it was pretty basic because it wasn't trauma related. You know, it wasn't like I was never touched or, or beaten or anything like that. It. Um, but were it, you how come no one was able to uh, make you not so frightened? I think they just thought that I was just skittish. You know, like, oh, that's just, she'll grow out of it. She'll grow out of it. She'll grow out of it. And I didn't grow out of it. It just got worse and worse over But you time. found your parents were nurturing? They were, yeah, they were nurturing and loving, but they just, you know, they now, uh, I think both of them have done therapy and I have, and my brother's studying to be a psych nurse. And now in our family, you know, we're just, the it's sickening, like how supportive they are. Self-aware. It's gross. Right. But, but now it's like, it's so they learn the language. <laughs> yeah. But, it's, but you know, still the, like my mother does that too. Like she, okay. So she, she's trained herself to say, I'm proud of you and proud, not yeah. as opposed to, you know, do I look fat? You know, there is a big mm-hmm. change up. And well, so like, I'm glad that she's moved along and then she can do that, but it's not going to replace the fact that she was completely self-involved throughout most of my life. Yeah. I th- I, I feel like a little bit of a, of a, of a fraud because I, um, I'm not a fraud. I just, I, I wrote this book and it's about being fucked up, but the fucked upness I think is largely biological in nature. Some of it was nurtured into me, I know, but, um, it, it's not like an abuse memoir, right? And it, and it, um, you know, you I should feel have like made something up because those things sell, man. They I mean, do, man. Oh, like a priest, it. a stepdad, just oh, make up a few people. Something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know what they were twenty four when they had me, and that's not that's not particularly young. But now that I've been twenty four, um, yeah, like, like two years ago, I realize how how immature you are at that age and so i really they really grew up along with me in right. many ways i had that too yeah yeah no my my mom was 22 where did you grow up albuquerque oh okay i used to live in las cruces really did you uh were you in love with a guy from albuquerque <laughs> no but I what did you did. go to school in new mexico state um i did take a class at nmsu but what i the also fuck were you doing in las cruces americorps i was doing oh. the americorps program no one no one lives in las cruces no nobody as it turns out nobody does southern new mexico is a little bit bleak it's real weird it's a real weird place like albuquerque and santa fe are well, relatively you got the flying saucer people oh this okay there was this one dude yeah. who I went on a date with, by which I mean we had relations. And so you fucked a guy on a one-nighter? Uh, no, we, I think we had sex a few times. Okay. He was really nice. Right. And um, I want you to know that he was really nice, Mark. Okay, it's very important first. You're setting up the weird part. Okay. I'm talking. Nice guy. I'm talking but, to the dude. Yeah. Post-coitus. Oh, good. He's wearing a necklace that has a purple crystal on it. Sure. That he kept on during yeah. sex. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, because I was kind of a hippie at the time, I said, wow, that's really beautiful. What does that symbolize? Mm -hmm. And he said, this is from when the aliens took me. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was fucking with me, so I started laughing. And he was really serious. Uh And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, I was kidnapped by aliens when I was a baby. Mm -hmm. And when, um, when they brought me back, my mother found me, and she was changing my diaper, and this crystal was in it. And I said, so you... So you shit, a you shit a crystal out. And then I remembered that his mother <laughs> had a business as a massage therapist and crystal healer. And I said to him, don't you think maybe you just ate the crystal? And I swear, Mark, like I've never seen such a look of disillusionment on someone's face. It w- it's like it had never occurred to him before that maybe this is really what had happened. It was like I told him Santa wasn't real. He was so <laughs> sad, and I felt so bad, and I think that's why I had sex with him again, because I just felt so guilty. Like right away? No, like to, another. It was like a to, day to later. To sort of stop him from crying? I was like, I'm so no, sorry, It was a flying saucer. Bring me, bring me that dick. <laughs> Seriously, just give it to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, that, oh, so that was your hippie period? Now, how, how far did you go with that? Where I, of, I never got into like smoking weed, which you would think is integral to a hippie period. But um, what kind of shoes are we talking? Where oh, uh, you know, uh, like I had to have a, a, some kind of shoes that were vegan. Sure, okay. I wasn't so vegan, were, but a that. vegan shoe. Right. I went to a school called Warren. Like I dropped out of Emerson College because um, I had a nervous breakdown and got uh, was like crazy bones. And then after I got better, I went to a school called Warren Wilson College, which is down in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and it's on. Uh, like 1,100 acres and 300 acres are, is a, an organic farm and then mm-hmm. 20 acres is an organic herb garden and everybody on campus works and work crews. Was and this one of the reasons you went there or was this just sort of like you had a nervous breakdown and you're like, I just need to go someplace where there's you know food growing. <laughs> I needed to and, go someplace some pure. Pla- someplace safe. Yeah, it was kind of my version of rehab i guess in a sense it what just the, seems what, so safe you, and nurturing and sweet like this big womb of grain of sure yeah. just, and cattle right yeah live that free range cattle nice yeah nice. so yeah, i get went there close to the animals <laughs> real yeah, close close to the roots of herbs do you feel better when you're around nature like does that ever is do you find it soothing or do you find it noxious and weird no i, I don't i don't i don't i can't bullshit myself much anymore about stuff so I, I'm fine with nature. I like it. I don't camp. I had a, a, a very disturbing moment right down here on my property, which is not huge, but right down there on the hill last night. You've got some wildness happening. What happened? Well, there's a, you know, this house is very old and there's a ceramic um, sewage pipe that runs from the house down the hill to the sewer system. Mm-hmm. And, and it sometimes it gets backed up. And I know that if I go onto my deck here and I smell sewage, I go, fuck I'm going to have to call the rooter guy. So this happened to me last night, around 10 at night, 10.30 at night. I'm like, is that sewage? And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just maybe something. So I took a flashlight and I walked down to where the, the, there's no patio. There's just the hill mm-hmm. to check the um, whatever, the, the clean out. The poop. This, well, there's no poop, but there's a, a there, there's clean outs that go into the pipe to mm-hmm. rooter if you have to. And I just wanted to see if it was okay. And I'm just walking, and there were two huge fucking possums, like, right there. And it was one of those moments. And those things are so fucking scary. And at night, in a flashlight, when you freak them out, and they just gnarl. They're mean. 
Yeah, well, they're they're afraid, but they don't move. They didn't go into the dead thing because I think that for a skunk to shoot its smell and for a possum to play dead, it's, it takes a lot of energy. It exert, you know, they, they really got to be fucking freaked out. So these two just froze with fucking snarls on their faces, and it was it's I I, I screamed a little. You did. I went ah like that, and I'm always excited when I can familiarize myself with what comes out of me spontaneously <laughs> in moments of terror. Where, oh, you know, and and I like I did. Did, I did stop myself from running back up the hill like a little fucking girl. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not judging girls. Maybe some girls would be thrilled. Some to be girls in that would moment. have been like friends, oh, and they would have hugged it and got yeah, rabies and died. Yeah, uh, no, I, I said, all right, you guys are probably not going to do anything. I don't know what you're up to. I don't know why you're not running now, but I've come down here for a purpose. And uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and I don't know if you get coyotes up here, but do you guys have coyotes yeah, up here? Sometimes, but I got to, you know, that's why Boomer stays out back. You usually see them around uh, if there's a coyote. Like they're, if they're down here, they're, they're starved out somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they usually look pretty ratty and kind of weird. And they're not that afraid of you either. I chased one out of the neighborhood with my car. God, Los Angeles is so. I find Los Angeles weird, not for like cultural reasons. A lot of people who are, you know, East Coast types will go, oh, L.A. is X, Y, Z and it's boring and you've heard it all a million times. But I find it I find it weird because you guys live way closer to nature than New Yorkers do. I mean, you can there's foliage and it always looks like the plants are about to win. Oh, yeah. No, out here, especially, I mean, it's full of animals. I mean, there's skunks and possums and raccoons are all over the place. And there, there's just a lot of weirdness. Squirrels. Yeah, they will come and attack are you. So dis- <laughs> possums are so disturbing. And the coyotes. Yeah, I'm fortunate that they don't, there's not a lot up here because they, they eat cats. All right, wait. So you're at Emerson. You have a nervous breakdown. That seems par for the course, and you should have just stayed there, it seems. it would. Yeah, uh, Emerson caught a lot of comedians one day. How old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? 31. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You okay with it? Um... Mm. I didn't. Mm, All right, no. so you had a nervous breakdown at, at, <laughs> at, at twenty one. At, at twenty one, yeah. Was it glorious? I were it you was already fucked up, man? But I wait, mean, okay. So you're see this agoraphobia thing. I'm having a hard time framing it because mm-hmm. you know you're out in the world. You're charismatic. You're needy. Yeah, uh, you're, you're you know you're, you're sexy Vulnerable, and yeah, endearing, so, charming. Right. right. So it, was this agoraphobia like a, a secret? Because you obviously were out in the world doing shit. It was something that grew over over years. So at first, and, and agoraphobes can be very sneaky in the same way that like drunks and drug users can be super sneaky about their usage. They hide the fact that they're hiding? Uh, yeah, because you can do things like say, if I'm terrified of going to work one day, I, I could just say, like I worked at a hair salon in Boston um, when I was at Emerson, I could just say, uh, oh, uh, you know, pipe burst in my apartment or oh, this happened or oh, I'm sick. And it none of those things were true. And I wasn't doing it just to, for kicks to get to lie for fun it was because i was actually afraid of leaving the house but I, I couldn't articulate that to anyone because it was so shameful and so disgusting and reprehensible and and also because you know maybe it happened on a tuesday and then on a wednesday i was okay so it didn't become a steady um chronic i guess thing um for a while it, it really the way it happened over a number of years 
felt as if I were literally painting myself into a corner. You know, at first I could do buses, planes, trains. I didn't like them, but I could do them. Then buses were out. Then trains were out, but I could still do cars and planes. Then planes were out. Then cars were out. You know, at first uh, I was cool going anywhere in the city of Boston. And then over time, uh, during my time at Emerson, it was just one neighborhood. And then it was just one block. And then it was just my street. Well, what was, but uh, explain to me the fear of what? It was just a basic panic or you were like, if I go on that or to that place this will happen there was no specificity to the fear it was just um i I think it was attached to the fact that i had panic attacks in these different places and during those panic attacks i just felt this pure irrational fear um just terror no with with no basis in reality you couldn't breathe or you start screaming your heart starts beating really fast you feel start to feel nauseous because the blood flow gets diverted up here to the respiratory system um you know your quads get tense your pupils actually dilate a little bit to let in more light you start to sweat Mm. um out of seemingly out of nowhere in reality i see now that it was any time i i feared that i was going to lose control I, I feared that I didn't have control in a situation. A panic attack was a way to take me out of it. But I, I didn't understand that at the time. So I would have them and I would just, I would associate them with the place. Like, oh, I had this panic attack at a movie theater. I can't go to this movie theater anymore. Oh, maybe I shouldn't go to any movie theaters. I can't go to this grocery store, but I can go to this one. I can't go, you know. So you, you're saying that the panic attack was some sort of uh, adaptive press, process that would keep you isolated in order you wouldn't be afraid? Because during a panic attack, you certainly don't have control. Right. The panic attack would say, I could say, if I had a panic attack, attack in a place i could say oh i felt sick when i went there so i can't go there anymore mm. there's something wrong with that place it was very illogical oh i see so that's okay so once the panic attack happened mm-hmm. then you had control that right? place well, that it was, was like oh that place is out i can't yeah. go there yeah and um and i hid it from people from my family I, I hid it from my friends they knew i had panic attacks sometimes but along the way when i was 16 i got i i describe some of these symptoms and so i went on a a drug that didn't work for me but i didn't know enough about health care but what about with dudes and stuff what about like with um boyfriends or sex and stuff i mean that's well i didn't you mean like was it scary was the concept of sex scary yeah i mean you kind of can lose control yeah, I guess it was. I mean, I was... Um, and you were a virgin until you were 21? Until I was 21, probably. Oh. And probably that played into it, along with all the Catholic shit. Um, Which is also a control freak thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of contr- There's a lot of control issues happening right here on mm. this side of the desk. Mm-hmm. Can you feel them? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I, uh, I was on this drug, and it wasn't working for me, but I didn't know that there were other drugs you could take, like other you know, yeah. psychiatric drugs. I thought, I'm taking this yellow pill, and it's not working. I can't tell anybody, because if the drug doesn't work, that means I'm crazy, and they'll lock me away. Valium? No, it was, uh, what was it? It was Paxil. Mm. That's what I was taking, and it just wasn't working for me. I didn't know that there were all these other drugs you could take. But were you, did it get to a point where you literally couldn't leave your room? Yeah, it did. It got to a is place. That when, in, at Emerson? Is that when you had the breakdown? Yeah, I was living on Newbury Street, which is like Boston's Rodeo Drive. <laughs> I know it, I know it well. I spent seven or eight years in Boston. Oh, What well, salon were you working at? I was, oh, I can't I can't say what oh, salon, because okay. it's in the book, and I talk shit about it. Oh, but okay. I made up a, a name mm-hmm. of the salon. Was it on Newbury Street? Uh, it was on Newbury yeah. Street. And, um, <laughs> oh, that was an experience. But uh, it got so bad that I eventually stopped leaving my apartment. And then I was living in a studio. I stopped leaving the part of the studio where my bed was. So I even became afraid to go to the bathroom. So, like, I, if I needed to take a shit, I would still go to the bathroom. But if I had to pee, I would pee in a bowl 
or like a mason jar or something and then wash it out in the sink. And What sink? Uh, there was a sink in the studio. It had a little kitchenette right there. Right. So it, it was pretty much the size of this room that we're in right now. The so bathroom, you can go to the bathroom. I was afraid of spending an extended period of time in the bathroom. I mean, real illogical got to a real illogical place. That's why I mean, I, it was like I painted myself literally into a corner. I felt safe finally just in my bed. And, and that was it. And so you weren't going to school? Wasn't going to school. Not so good for the GPA. You were ordering food in? Uh, I was at first. And then after a while, I just got so depressed. Um, I got so depressed that about all my fears that I just kind of stopped having an appetite. And I saw that when I didn't eat that... I slept a lot. And when I slept, I felt okay because I would have very nice dreams. Mm. Um, so I somehow made the connection that if you don't eat, <laughs> then that's that's better because you, you don't have energy. And if you don't have energy, you can't stay awake. How so long did you live time. like this? The worst of it, I would say, lasted about a month. The very worst of it, the pee stuff and all that. that the, the real worst where I was not going to class and I was making up a lot of excuses and I was staying in. Did they, someone have to come get you? Yeah. Yeah, my my best friend, uh, Alexandra, finally just showed up at my door one day. And I don't know why I opened the door, but I did. And she was like, we're going we're going out to eat. And I said, no, you know, no, we're not. Um, and I was disgusting. I mean, I don't washed and I, there were bowls of peas sitting around. Um, and it, I mean, it was a real no drugs. Uh, no, no booze. No, I didn't drink actually until I was 23. Because I've known guys that can't get out of bed because they're too fucked up, so they pee in jars. I I know. <laughs> you so know I'm, guys like that? Sure, I've met people. Well, are you interested? Yeah. Can you introduce <laughs> me? We probably have a lot in common. We could have, we could talk. The first date would just be we would order lemonade. It would be yeah. exquisite. Well, that's definitely a, a sort of uh, alcoholic drug addict bottom hitting mm -hmm. familiar tale of like just being too hungover, too wasted to get out of bed and just surround yourself with pee. I remember hearing Margaret Cho tell a story on one of her albums where she talks about how she hit bottom when she realized that she was in bed with a dude and she had to pee so bad, but she was so wasted that she actually considered just pissing the bed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, basically my friend came and saw how bad I was. And so she called my other friend, Catherine, and, and they both contacted my parents and said, you know, you really need to come get her. There's something, we don't know what's wrong with her. There's something very wrong with your daughter. You have to come and you have to get her. And so I got this phone call uh, in my house and it's both my parents on the phone, which is always a bad sign, like two on the same, on a yeah. different extension sure, in the sure. house. Like some, yeah. some weird shit just happened. Like right. grandma died. But or, you thought you were hiding all this. I thought I was doing a great job of hiding it. But I mean, it. but what was your, your end game? I didn't have one because- Were you suicidal? Oh yeah, definitely. I was, I was um, starting to, I was starting to picture ways I could kill myself, but I noticed I was getting skinnier and skinnier and I thought that was a good sign, not sure. from like an aesthetic point of view. I felt I felt like I was physically disappearing and I really liked that feeling. Yeah, I do too. Yeah? Yeah. It's kind of a it's a it's a glamorous feeling. Well no, it feels uh I don't know if I I've if I would acknowledge it as, as physically disappearing, but I know that part of the control thing and the mm -hmm. eating thing and what you're talking about, it, it that's its reward. There's less of you in the world. Yeah, I, I don't know if I ever thought about it that way, but I knew that it was, uh, yeah, I just felt healthier and, and, and better. Um, but the, the, the more I realized that there's something about feeling negated anyways, that, that somehow or another, in my mind, these control issues come from, uh, from some sort of emotional dynamic where you, know, you weren't present to those, you felt invisible anyways. It's entirely possible.
you know I, I'm so, I wasn't trying to regroup it I just know no. for me it was just that the thinner I was the more my mother would be impressed because she's got oh. an eating disorder so so that was a uh, that is my biggest secret it's not so secret anymore but that is my real issue that's underneath all the drugs really? and alcohol and everything else is fucking body image food issues and it's not a real guy thing to have but I have it and uh, there's something amazing about like, look, I'm halfway gone. You know, it's like, look, I'm perfect. Yeah, like I, that's the final thing you have control over is what you put into your body. That's and right. Look how, look how con- well controlled I am. I'm yeah. winning. I felt like um, I was fading away and I really liked that. There was just less and less of me in the world. That's what my thing was. It wasn't like a body image thing. It was, I liked f- starting to feel the, the bones poke through the skin because I thought, like hip bones, because I thought, um, oh, this is, this is good you know at that point you didn't think it was hot no where was your sexuality gone man gone along with probably my period like just when you get that real skinny just fucked up shit happens you start to get hairy and yet at the same time like your hair starts breaking and falling out more and your body is basically eating itself is eating its fat stores and so um i wasn't i wasn't on the verge of death by any means but i was pretty could you tell me this diet because i'd like to make note of it if (laughs) it just i must have something to do with the pissing in the in the bowls Uh but um my parents called me and they asked how I was doing and I lied and I said I was doing fine and then they asked me again and I lied and they asked me again and I was like these people are fucking magical first of all how did they know to call me yeah. second of all how they seem to understand something's going on how, who I was so out of it I didn't realize my friend had gone and called them I really thought they had psychically intuited because I was believing in magic and weird shit at that time God, that's I, I had that too the paranoia where it's like everything's a sign yeah like oh. this, what does this mean? What does this mean? The, do- the door's a little bit open in the studio. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. That Why is that sign like that? Why, <laughs> how come, like, you know, why is that song on now? That shit? Yeah. Yeah. Real, like, everything. That's one thing I, I always say when I talk about this stuff is, like, mentally ill people are, are gifted because we know things that nobody else knows. Like, we know why that bird just flew past the window. Yeah. And we can tell you, but yeah. we're not gonna. Yeah. Because yeah. it's yeah. our secret. So you had justified that? That somehow you were like, that was my gift. I was like, oh, okay. And it, absolutely. But that is that craving for order. You mm-hmm. know, that, you, that oh, I wish. Um, but so, yeah, I, I, it it upsets me on some level that you are willing to, you know, to, to, to just categorize this as biological. Well. I, I insist on family of origin. You're probably... Right, that there are some family of origin issues there, that it's not just biological. I think that's absolutely true. I, think, I smell self-involved parents. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They, uh, you know, they had their certainly had their own had their own issues because they were young. They didn't know what they were doing. You know, they did it because they thought they should, and that's what people did. But yet, they were still too young. Like to this day, when people ask me about my parents, I do not. My parents are incapable of nurturing. They, they don't have it in them. They never did. So when people ask me about my relationship, I say I grew up with them, that, that they were around. I see them as these people that had their problems. I grew up with them, but I don't, I don't rely on them. Mm. I mean, certainly they would have stepped in like your parents and yeah. they tried to step in and I probably would have fought them for it. But I, I find that when you have to somehow put your sense of self together, that that is going to lead to everything you're saying. I will say that I didn't feel like I got to be a little kid. When I was a little kid, I felt like... um uh, I felt like a, I was a little grown up and I was, you know, put in that position. And w- it was when I had this. You the oldest? Yeah. 
It was when I had this breakdown that suddenly I got to be a little kid. Like my mom came and got me and she brought me a teddy bear and she strapped me, she buckled me into the car and she brought me home. Um, yeah, not to the kitty seat. <laughs> that would be weird if they had that, you know, having a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old. It's just something fun we do when it's just for us. Don't ask questions. They got a specially fitted, like, you know, kitty seat for for 18 or 19-year-olds. Exactly. And I was like, thanks. And that, I was, you know, I, I can remember being at home with them and I was, they were, they would drive me to therapy and stuff. And we would do things like... um they would make me a sandwich. And that was the most exciting thing to me. Like, oh, I'm getting so much attention now. I'm getting their, their uh, and this was at 21, like mo- mommy and daddy are taking care of me. Uh-huh. I remember um, walking with one of them on each side of me, holding my hands and we practiced walking down the driveway and, and down the street and then back. And t- until I said, I can't, okay, I can't go any farther. And because you, oh, you, it was too far out of the house? Yeah. So it was like I got to be a little kid again, but but also for the first time. So I think you're actually, I'm going to fucking talk to my fucking Mark Marin. I'm going to talk to my therapist about this <laughs> because I think you actually just hit on something yeah. that's that's kind of deep. Um, I think that is that is true. And I got to suddenly be, a, you know, a child and and have this rapid progression. And as I got better, it was like I progressed to being an adolescent. So I'd be ready. I'd be like, I'm going to take the car out. And they'd go, are you sure? Are you okay? Are you sure you're not going to have a pandemic? Whatever, mom and dad, I'm fine. And then I progressed finally to some semblance of adulthood. And and that's when um, they, you know, I was able to go on my way and finish college. And go hang out with the herbs. Hang out with the herbs and then go to New Mexico and hang out with the alien people. Sure, man. And then go to New York City. Well, I mean, I think it's a tremendous sign of growth that you, you know, didn't immediately um, buy into the uh, abduction story. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, that, I mean, that should be a, a signpost of health where you're like, you shit that out because your mom is a whack job. <laughs> that was probably a moment As where... As opposed to like, where did this happen? We should go back there. Sweet man, can I take that? Can I hold it? Yeah, yeah. I want to shit crystals. Yeah. Awesome. Now, New Mexico is a trippy, I, trippy place. Yeah. Absolutely. But I, I know I called bullshit on it right away and I think probably destroyed his life in the process. Sometimes, you know, people got to take some hits for our personal growth. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Broken hearts are par for the life. <laughs> you gave him a gift. You showed him the truth. That's what we do, Mark. We love him and leave him and we say, get the fuck out of here. Well, you know, I can relate to the, uh, you know, the old, you know, when you're smart and you, you've got spunk and you're the older sibling, you know, your parents assume that you're going to be all right. That kid seems to have it figured out. Mm-hmm. You know, I had that. And and you don't. You, you know, you're sort of making up for the fact. Like, I don't know how you were disciplined uh, in your life. Like, I had parents that were, you know, kind of wobbly on that shit. Yeah. And they were very diplomatic about stuff. And in my life, uh, when I look back on it, I I regret not having more structure. I regret my parents not saying, you know, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Or, or maybe you should do your homework. They were just sort of like, he seems to be doing something in this room. <laughs> yeah, wondering who I was. And that continued until three years ago. Do you plan to ever have kids? It might happen. I'm a younger woman. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't, see, that's the weird thing also. Do you? Maybe. Maybe. I, I think I'd like to. I just hung out with my friend and her her twin toddler. She's a single mom with twins. And I uh, hung out with her for a couple of days when I did a gig out in Minnesota recently. And I, I was left with um, awe and wonder at how she does it. And then also a strange desire to 
kind of do it one day, but not now. Someday. But but it never dawned because I never really thought about it, and then I I it, I do I, I'm a little more now because I I feel like I'm just now sort of landing in my skin somehow. Mm-hmm. It took a long time for me to uh, have some sense of self that I thought was genuine. Uh, a lot of times I was always so uncomfortable, you know, that you sort of just kind of adapt and react. The kid thing is, is that if you have that moment where you're like, I don't know, they seem to, uh, you know, they require a lot. That that instinct, that moment, like I get that. And I'm like, well, you should want to, you know, the, the possibility, the, the selflessness that is required should be somewhat instinctual. Mm-hmm. That, you know, people who want to have kids, they don't ever go like, it's going to, what, what do I, where do you put it? They'll like they'll die real quick if you don't main like take care of them all yeah. the time. All this stuff is pretty fresh with me too, and that's why maybe I'm I'm uh, projecting or or stepping on our conversation a little bit because the the when you have parents that require that y- their needs are are larger than yours, mm-hmm. and that puts you in a position to somehow try to accommodate them without knowing what's going on emotionally, and then you are robbed of your sense of self. Mm. and and you scramble you know looking for that and yeah i do think uh i don't know if you felt this way but i felt like i i was an emotional tuning fork because i never knew you know whether my mom or my dad was going to be in one of them was going to be in the uh, having like a sort of minor meltdown sometimes when i was growing up so um when i walked in the door each day i didn't know whose turn it was going to be to be the kid sometimes that's how i felt now as an adult having seen my friends with their kids i'm like holy shit how did i like how did they how did they do any of it with the personal stuff that my parents were going through with their families like how did they raise us how did they do it i i get it now but for a long time um well for a long time i was really angry and i i wouldn't talk about them the way that i talk about them now because you were denied a childhood for this stuff i was uh i mean everything we're talking about is starting to come back around to this thing yeah where... i guess it oh man this this is more productive than, than a lot of therapy i've been doing have you thought about going and getting your your licensed counselor and social worker no degree? i don't know i think that my ability to do it will run out when i've resolved all of my personal issues. <laughs> <laughs> that like if I open a therapy practice and one day I realize like I feel pretty good I'm like I'm not going to work today <laughs> like, I'm done I fixed me it. well yeah I mean yeah I would do it to help me but I don't know if I could I don't know how helpful I could be to other people if I feel okay yeah I Maybe. guess so I don't know but you you do a great job with it do you like how I'm deflecting what you just how, how you just yeah I mean this might really not be the place for you know because well I mean obviously there's stuff that you you know that's not in the um, in the script for you right now which is what what are these things that your parents had to deal with and maybe it's not your business to talk about it or it's not it's, in the book it's, or... it's not my business to talk about it but I can say that um, that they both in their own way were robbed of their childhoods and so I think what they wanted to do was to create a situation in which um, everything was perfect right I'll show them or we're going to do every, it right it's going to be perfect right and um Mm-hmm. And any without resolving their own shit, that was mm-hmm. the way they were going to fix it. They were going to fix it because because right. they, god damn it, it was going to be like we can do this. We like yeah, it was going to be like the the. I mean, my mom, you know, grew up um, without a dad around, mm-hmm. and she was god damn it was her kids right. were gonna have a dad and they were gonna have a nice house and you know the both parents were gonna be educated and they were gonna make enough money and they're all these things and um but they never resolved the the actual uh, grief or or the emotional consequences of how they were brought up until i was much older 
Now right, we're so very chill people. Now we're cool. We've all been to therapy and we can talk about shit. And mm. it's uh, just the other night we had this big family party with 66 people for the book coming out. My dad got up and made this speech about mental health and like, and, and it was really touching. And like, I cried and my editor was there and she cried. And it was just, I, did I was. Did he give out samples? No, I wish he did. That would be so sweet. <laughs> and now on the subject, I've got a big box of this wonderful <laughs> new drug. Here you go. <laughs> he talked about how there's a lot of shame surrounding it and how important it is to, to talk talk about it and be open about it and um that's a lesson that i've watched him learn uh-huh. over the years as i have learned it uh-huh. um and it was pretty extraordinary like it, i i do feel like you do like we grew up i grew up with them yeah absolutely it's a yeah it's an interesting thing that has its own um its own dynamics and i i'll show you this book someone just someone recommended me and I, like i'm not a big self-help book reader and i have enough awareness about you know certain issues but i do like to see those issues framed in a way that i can understand them differently mm-hmm. it's uh it's about um narcissistic families oh interesting where everybody's the, doing their own thing well the family dynamic of of being brought up by a narcissist by a, nar- a narcissistic family dynamic which is basically that the parents, for whatever reason, are incapable of putting their kids' needs first. You know, even if there's money and college and all that stuff, that you know they can they can manufacture uh, uh, a safe environment, but emotionally they're the ones that, whose needs are 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 first. That's so interesting. Did you feel like it resonated with you? Oh a lot? fuck yeah, it resonates with me. That's all. I I think that's the first time that sentence has ever been uttered in the history of the world. Fuck yeah, it resonates with me. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. So do you do stand-up still? Or do I do. Because you, you, you started in it, but you, you seem to do a lot of video work and sketch work, and now you wrote a book. Like, I don't know you as a stand-up comic. Are you a stand-up yeah, comic? Yeah, I, um, I have. You know, stand-up is something that I started with um, and, and did for a few years. Um, I don't do it as much now. I travel, like, primarily when I perform now. Uh, I'm focusing mostly on writing. What I uh, do when I perform is I generally go to colleges, and they bring me in as a comedian who's going to talk about serious issues in a funny way so they'll bring me in to talk about like um suicide prevention and they'll bring me in to talk about depression or like women's issues or different things like that and that's your show um it's not my show but i mean what that seems like again like don't you need some what's your degree in my degree is in creative writing and then my master's degree is in teaching of english to students in the city in the state of new york grades 7 through 12 you got your master's at columbia i did and um smarty pants i eh, it's an easy Okay. It's an easy one to get into. Okay. Teachers' college is kind of yeah. easy to get into. Okay. It's like the back door. They're just happier there. They're just like, thank yeah, God, yeah, somebody somewhere. wants to be a fucking teacher. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I toured with this one woman show called Agora Fabulous for uh, two years. Which the book on is and based off. on. And that's what the book is based on. And doing that show just, I mean, doing it, it just intense. Like, it really took a lot out of me. And I do stand up sometimes now, but I haven't really been focusing on so it. So the arc of the show is, is the breakdown and then relearning how to mm-hmm. grow, grow up over the course of uh, you know moving towards yeah pretty um, much the 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 hippie college yeah pretty much um and, and that that became the book and like if you were you know I mean what what would you sort of hang um your the solution on I mean if there are people that are identifying with this right now I I don't ever do radio like this I just I realize I'm doing one of those things where it's like you seem to offer some help now what can you tell. Our okay. callers. What can you tell our listeners? Are you going back to a very like Air America old school place? Because I go back to a Sirius XM place sometimes and I'm like 888, 81 Cosmo. Yeah. No, no, no. I was never that. G- I mean, I, I uh, 
it, uh, we didn't do much of this either. But but there is something about these kind of issues that are specific. So if somebody is agoraphobic, I mean, what would you tell them? I would tell them to uh, to talk to certainly to talk to a therapist. I would tell them to look up. Um, look up an organization like the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which some people are don't like. I understand that some people don't like NAMI because they're funded by a lot of big pharmaceutical corporations. So a lot of people don't like NAMI, but I will say that they do have a lot of great online resources. It's NAMI.org. I'm not a rep for them or anything like that. I just know that they've got a suicide hotline and things like that on there. So if you can get to the room where your computer is. Yeah, if you can do that. I would also say seek out um, cognitive behavioral therapy is is awesome. Which is uh, yeah, which is uh, act as if therapy. Basically, it's like repro- reprogramming. Right. So if you've gotten your fake head, it till you make it. Yeah, fake it till you make it. It's great. Yeah, no, it's, I think I think it's really uh, that's a real thing mm-hmm. because it, you know when your obstacles are defining your behavior, a lot of those obstacles. It doesn't mean you're changing who you are. It just means you're getting through the fear. It's also talking. I think of it as talking back therapy because there there are times in my life. Last summer, I got real depressed when I had to when I finished the book. I got so fucking depressed that I went back home to my parents' house for to for a sabbatical, as my manager called it. And um, you know, I just kept having this thought of like, I I just want to die. I want to die. I want to die. And CBT teaches you that you can talk back to that voice. You can take the kind of uh, you can take the sanest part of yourself and say, why? Or, yeah, or no, or, or just, no, you actually don't. Right, switch the words to I want to cry, yeah. I want to cry. <laughs> I want to hold myself, <laughs> I want to gently cut myself. No, that probably wouldn't be a helpful one. Well, that's, there's some sort of, there, like, you, you know, I've always thought that that, you know, any suicidal ruminations that have come out of me were really about self-pity. And, you know, they, they were relieving. They you know, There wasn't any threat of me killing myself, but I felt comforted knowing that I could because I was in such a lonely place and I was feeling so bad about myself. You said something in your speech at Just for Laughs, which is why I emailed you like last summer, um, that uh, really resonated with me, which was that you, basically what you just said, that you made you made some crack about like how you probably never actually going to kill yourself, but you just like knowing that you have the option. Yeah. And I was listening to that in my parents' house where I was because I was so, I was so depressed and, and just feeling awful. Like it's recently. Yeah. It's about relief. It's the idea of. So did I give you relief in your darkness? It, you absolutely did. You mm. absolutely. And if I needed to come here to say thank you, I'm coming here to say thank you. But. And you're doing good. I'm doing pretty well, I think so. So we good? I think we're good. Yeah, you feel you feel do do we need to get back to anal or are we good? No, we good? I think we could, although that would be really full circle if we ended on anal. Yeah, is there any way you're going to do anal again, Sarah? Ah, uh, well, Mark, that's an interesting question. Mm. I think that for me to do anal again, I would have to be so deeply in love that I lost my mind in 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 a totally new way. Oh well, that's uh, that's optimistic. I just I just threw it down, gentlemen who are listening. That's a challenge to <laughs> all of you. If you get my heart, you get my ass. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, well, I think that's a fine way to end this. <laughs> I think so too. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. That was fun, wasn't it? She was fun. I enjoyed that, and I'll see you in. Uh, I'll see you at the uh, Steve Allen Theater. If you want to come on July 17th, I'll see you in Nashville on the uh, 20th and 21st at Zany's, or I'll see you in Montreal, or uh, maybe I'll just see you down the street. I don't know. Do you live nearby? WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get yourself some JustCoffee.coop over there. Kick in a few shekels. Get on that mailing list. 
Check the app. Buy the app. Upgrade. Kick in. What else? Yeah, buy some merch. Check my calendar. See who's been on the show, on the episode guide. Leave a comment. Do whatever you got to do. Just go over there. I, I like that website. I, you know, I had a guy do that thing. It looks nice. Man. You know, I'm a little exhausted. All right? That's all there is to it. And, and I appreciate you listening. I, I, I need to decompress here. I really do. It's been a long day. Got up early. Boomy. Is he here? Boomy, come here, buddy. He's here. Come here, Boomy. Come here, buddy. I swear to God, he meowed right before I turned the mic on. Boomy. Boomy. As I said, this is an ongoing performance piece called Hey Boomy. 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 Boomy.